0: The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk summer. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and John McTurnan, commentator and former political secretary to Tony Blair. Now, John, I wanted to start by asking you about a tweet that you put out yesterday in which you said, I must say, I'm furious with the Labour Party. Why aren't they announcing a raft of transformative policies that will bring hope and deliver change but don't cost a penny? I can think of dozens. I mean, what prompted that tweet, and and what should the Labour Party be be doing?
1: I was what prompted that tweet was um, seeing people's response to Rachel Reeves's uh, interview with the Guardian, and people going, "Oh my God, why can't Rachel say what Labour will raise taxes on, where Labour will find the money, how Labour will spend on public sector salaries?" All people bumping their gums about Rachel having a straight bat on financial discipline, economic credibility. And I just thought, I don't want to comment on. Rachel's interview or the Guardian coverage or whatever it's just like do people not understand one there are not a lot of policies which cost nothing and give hope to the nation and we are a very long way from the general election campaign in traditional terms we're one budget away because there's an October election next year there's another budget to come given that the conservative government have normally had two fiscal events every year we're maybe three fiscal events away for a general election I mean, we just saw in small at the last um, uh, in the last budget, Jeremy Hunt announced an expansion of childcare, which is very similar to what Bridget Phillipson aspires to on the Labour side. If she Bridget announced that a week before the budget, people would have said, "Where's the money coming from?" It's in the budget now. Bridget can actually reshape the spending that Jeremy Hunt has uh, committed, and that's the thing. We don't know what the fiscal situation going into the general election is going to be, so Rachel is being cautious now and doing the main thing, which is removing all potential negative attacks on Labour. So it's really trying to draw attention humorously to the fact that there is a real strategy, and it's not kind of hold your nerve and, and, and keep calm, but basically we're a long way from when the election offer is going to be uh, opened up. We might, we don't even know who the shadow cabinet are that are going to go into the general election because the general election could be in October next year and. January 2025. So we're a long way off. But people are talking like Labour are in government, sort of very close to government. It's a long way to go.
0: Yeah. And and Katie, I mean, have you been surprised by Labour's sort of reluctance to put clear blue water between themselves and the Tories? I mean, as as John says, we're looking maybe a little too far ahead, but what do you think those dividing lines are going to be policy-wise between Labour and and Conservatives?
2: So I don't think it's surprising in the sense that the economy continually comes back to haunt Labour and it is a weak spot in elections and therefore the fact that Rachel Reeves has decided to prioritise fiscal credibility and responsibility above most things makes logical sense because they want to Uh, stop what is a weakness but it's also her politics she is someone who believes in um, constraints on spending and was never involved in the Jeremy Corbyn government Mm. never served in it yeah so so I think that it means you are having limits I think actually the strength of the shadow treasury you can see in lots of recent areas where I don't think shadow members have got their way I don't think where streeting has got his way on some issues Um, some of the things he announced that then actually was had a clipping of the wings because it was unfunded Mm -hmm. also Bridget Phillips has been giving interviews talking about this childcare offer but actually the money to go along with that has, has not emerged so she's done a good game of talking it up Mm. Um, but again I think it's another sign of a shadow treasury win and the part of the reason you hear the R word reform so much is because reform ultimately is something which in theory can be done without spending much money now of course all governments want to be reforming governments but it's also a very handy thing for a shadow cabinet member who doesn't have access to money who's been told to do switch spends so if you want to spend money on something tell us where in your department you you would cut the money it's very useful from that side so I think you can see all that coming together I think it's still a different question as to if Labour were in government and of course as John says we could be some way off does the line hold then of course that's when actually I think um, when the shadow treasury becomes a treasury that's when it would become much tougher for Rachel Reeves um, but I think you can see the strategy and I think of course having Wes Streeting talk about how he cannot confirm there'll be more money for the NHS under a Labour government than a Tory government I would still be surprised by the next election if, the, if Labour really were not pledging to you know to go over what the Tories are spending on the NHS specifically but I think it's trying to you know clear the decks and also get some of these trickier conversations out the way so nearer to the election you can say a bit more but I, th- I think that would be a-, a common theme throughout.
0: One of the the key dividing lines between the parties does seem to the, to be that there's, there's relative unity within the Labour Party. I mean yesterday Unite, one of the biggest uh, UK trade unions voted overwhelmingly to retain close ties with the Labour Party. John, do, do you think that the the relationship between the unions and Labour is, is as rosy as that as that vote might suggest?
1: Yeah, look, I think um, one thing I'd say about the entire Labour Party, the Parliamentary Party in the country and the trade union movement, is everybody has decided that we have to be united and disciplined if we're going to win. Now, being united and disciplined doesn't guarantee a win. But it changes the, 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 the terms on which Kier can lead. It changes the way the terms on which Rachel can make announcements. Pat McFadden can operate in the back on the on the shadow cabinet. And I think what's really significant is that the industrial part of the Labour movement, the affiliated trade unions and the broader trade unions, they've decided they've got an industrial agenda. They're striking. Uh, they're striking for higher pay. They're striking across the board. They're unionising. They're trying to unionise Amazon. They're trying to union all places they haven't led union representation before. And they, they've, but they've clearly decided Labour has to win to deliver a bunch of the things that we want as unions for our union members. We have to win to deliver for our existing members and our future members who are recruiting in, 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 in precarious employment. And that, that you can run those strategies side by side. And what should be um, noted is probably the single most ambitious policy that uh, Keir signed up to, that Rachel is uh, implicitly signed up to because it doesn't cost money, uh, and that Keir launched with Angela Rayner is the Charter of Workers' Rights, uh, which is a significant reversal of some of the Tory legislation. So actually, in in a sense, the unions have got their demands already. They got them not at last year's conference, the conference before that was launched before two years ago. So there's existing policy, which is actually in the bank for unions. They've got successful strikes going on. They've got the support of the public for the strikes the you know, the, there's an attempt, I think, by the government to to make the trade unions into the bogey that they were in the seventies and the eighties. That's not working. Um and so I think there's relative peace. And the leader of the Unite you know, was was clear from the outset, she had an industrial agenda and the political agenda Len McCluskey had wasn't gonna be hers. But I think that's that's a that's true across the board. So I think it was it's a it was a great to see that vote. So overwhelming. Um I think Uh, It would be terrible if the Labour Party ever broke its link uh, with the trade unions, with Filius trade unions. It's really important to us. That's what makes us a Labour Party, a union party, not a socialist party. That's what makes us British and electable. But I think, yeah, in in the movement of politics, everybody is trying to do their best to stay united and disciplined. And it's a contrast, obviously, to Uh, the government who have a lot spend a lot of time managing their own backbenchers
2: I think if you look at the comments regarding that Unite vote there are signs that it's a little bit less rosy of course the fact that it it did it as John said exceedingly near pass Uh, everyone wanted to vote to stay it but you look at those comments and uh, ultimately Sharon Graham who John just mentioned said Kirstama had been put on notice that its support should not be treated as a blank check and effectively said the union had to work to make Labour more more left wing as she is arguing and um, ultimately the worst time to leave to John's point the Labour Party is when they're in touching distance of power we won't have their influence Labour must be Labour and the unions push them into that position so I think you are getting the sign from the result of the vote that you know obviously people want to and have their influence but you do start to wonder I think probably a in advance of the election what more the unions are going to be trying to push for because we have the Labour Policy Forum coming up and um, which isn't quite as um, perhaps democratic or grassroots in terms of influence as as it sounds on paper. Um, But that is somewhere where um, you will see some of these debates on what should be in a Labour manifesto. And then also, once Labour is in power, um, what are the unions going to be calling for? Because they've got some things they want, but um, in terms of the big free-affiliated unions, under Jeremy Corbyn, Unite was clearly the leader's office union of choice, and uh, Lem Mccluskey, one of the four M's, uh, said to have plenty of influence in Jeremy Corbyn. It now feels as though Unite is probably the most hostile of the three. I don't know, John, if you'd agree with that.
1: I would, I'd say something slightly different to that. To build on it, I'd say the GMB are now the leader's office favourite union. So they are industrial, the working class, the blue collar, but they're also pro defence, the pro Trident, the pro nuclear. So that you can see that the GMB uh, Gareth Smith leader is very influential. Backs Rachel, backs backs Keir, and so the balance of power within the unions, uh, for the labor has slightly shifted uh, because Unite also, also managed to run the NEC had uh, a majority on the NEC. They were able to run uh TULO, the, the the liaison organisation between trade unions. It's a bit different now. So I think yes, there will be a bunch of demands that are brought back onto the table uh, if if there's a Labour government. When there's a Labour government. That's why you've clearly been hearing all this year, Labour not taking sides on any industrial dispute. It's like when, labor's the, when the government's the employer, the payer review bodies needs to deal with it. When there's a private sector employer, Labour goes, well, there needs to be a deal. Both, season, they, both sides need to get around the table. And so I think there's been some preparation of this kind of being prudent and ready for government in the way we've dealt with the trade unions. And the unions are kind of got, like, fair enough, we'll have to prosecute our agenda through the politics, through the National Policy Forum, like you said. But in the end, the manifesto they know is going to be Keir Starmer's choice. And I think they believe if there's a Labour government, they'll get a better hearing for some of the things that they want to see. And I think um, that's, why they, that's why they're united. That's why they're disciplined.
2: And John, just briefly, as a Labour veteran, if we're allowed to call you that obviously a very young veteran. Um, <laughs> very young. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've obviously attended a Labour policy forum in your time. How much influence do, you know, because we often hear about how, you know, the shadow cabinet, I've spoken to shadow cabinet members who say they're going to stay late. If they have to stay till, you know, 3am to get their policies through and fight things, they will. But, you know, how much, how much of a real thing is this in terms of the chances of, I suppose, it not going Keir Starmer's way?
1: So there's no way it won't go Keir Starmer's way um, because the National Policy Forum is set up on a tripartite basis, the shadow cabinet, the members, and the unions. And so a properly organized uh, leader controls the member representatives and the shadow cabinet. And so you, n- you never need to lose anything. It's a party management process in many ways. It's to bring people together, the shadow cabinet, the union leaders, the significant figures in the party elected from by the membership to discuss policy. And just for people to realize, actually, we're all in the same game and the politics is in the end a trade-off, you know, you don't get everything you want, but you get most of what you want and that will be what comes out. And in the end, the horse trading isn't about winning or losing, it's about giving a broad shape to what will the bag policies look like for which the manifesto writer will choose when the manifesto writer writes the manifesto the keyer wants. And I think that's an important way to think about is it. The National Policy Forum is such a good process for party management that right through the Iraq war, the National Policy Forum Policy Commissions supported Tony Blair and the government. So it's a great, and it, it, its purpose is to stop us falling apart in government. Tom Sawyer, when he was General Secretary of the Labour Party, I remember the time when he was in Newpeak, when the 70s was a fight between a Labour government and the Labour movement, wanted that to stop. And actually, it worked really well through the Blair government, I think it worked, it really well through any future Labour government because it's been designed to make sure you socialise policy but you also physically socialise together and it's harder to be angry and shout betrayal at somebody Uh, you got drunk with late at night in a bar on a Saturday night over a long policy weekend the point, you know, like they say about conferences the point is the coffee breaks not the actual sessions the point about the NPF is the drinking till 3 in the morning, not the horse training till 3 in the morning
0: (laughs) And just finally, Katie, the NATO summit in Lithuania is underway today, and it's begun with the, the key breakthrough that Erdogan will not block Sweden's application to NATO. The mood seems fairly optimistic. What, what do you think we can expect?
2: It looks as if Sweden will be a, a member of NATO, of course, it's just the question of the exact timing on this. But as you say, the, the main block is gone. I think in terms of uh it on his way there today, the main, the main other topics, of course... There's another country's membership from NATO, which will, uh, you know, dominate is a hot topic, and yeah. that's Ukraine's, but for now, even though it actually feels as though Emmanuel Macron, for example, has moved as slightly in terms of um, toughening his rhetoric mm. on the war and actually saying there should be a path. He said that in May for the first time for membership of Ukraine, you still have America unlikely to get behind this and it seems from Joe Biden's comments, much more talking about how the US has its relationship with Israel mm-hmm. um, in terms of supplying it with what it needs as opposed to I think uh, something like native membership with all the risks that could come in terms of bringing other countries in, into the conflict. In a direct manner. Mm. And then I think the other thing we're going to be seeing a lot about is talking about increasing defense budgets, something Richie Sunak has said in advance. And of course, it's because of the rotor in terms of where these are held, that is being held in the arena. But I also think it comes at a time when it feels the Baltic states and also the East Eastern Europe are growing in influence, and that's partly because if you think about Poland now doing 4% of its defence budget at a time when France is currently below uh, mm. 2% technically, having previously been above it, it, it does mean, you know, different voices have more influence now when it's talking about what the bloc should do.
0: Mm. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, John. And thank you very much for listening.